Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie once again taking your calls at 1850-333-103. We look forward to you sharing anything at all with us this morning. You can text her WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. And let me start the programme with some words of congratulations to various people, including our wonderful ladies soccer team and in particular Cork woman Denise O'Sullivan. Gorgeous photographs of Denise Sullivan celebrating after scoring a goal uh, yesterday evening and she helped the Republic of Ireland women's national team end, or end a run of seven consecutive defeats uh, by defeating what was described as a very strong Australian side. Kind of the words before this match went ahead was that it was going to be a very tough game for the Irish girls and you know would they be able to beat the Australian team because they, they do seem to be a powerhouse when it comes to ladies uh, soccer but they did. They won 3-2 it was a friendly in Tallis Stadium uh, last night and I suppose what's very relevant about this particular match that would have been the first match where the girls talking out for the Irish team would be getting paid the very same amount as if the boys were talking out for the Irish team after that after the boys themselves the, the men came forward and said they would reduce what they get paid in order for the girls to get the same amount so it was a kind of a special night for the girls as well but uh, well done uh, each and every one of them and I was thrilled to see in the paper this morning uh, Prancia Sotuma a gentleman I've never actually met in the flesh but I've interviewed him so many times on the programme picking up an environmental award. He has picked up the title of Mace Community Environmental Unsung Hero and if there ever was an unsung hero it is Pontius Othuma. He has been a volunteer in the East Cork area and he's been involved in community based actions in caring for and looking after our coastal areas. He now has a 300 strong volunteer group and they go under the banner of Clean Coasts and Ballinamona and you may, I, I certainly follow them on social media and the amount of rubbish that they pick up from our beaches 
weekend after weekend. And he was he Pranchius himself started that by just going out with his own little bag. And he used to be out walking the dogs and he'd bring a plastic bag and he'd pick up any rubbish along the way. So it started out from something very, very small. And you know, it sort of reminds me the way he started it was, you know, that saying it's better to light the candle than curse the darkness. I mean it's a we've a huge problem with rubbish on our beaches and it's rubbish that's washed in and particularly the problem with uh, plastics. So there he was doing his own little bit. Then he started to get involved. I think he initially got the pupils at his school because of course by day he's a teacher at St. Coleman's Community College in Middleton and I think he managed to persuade some of the transitioning students, would you like to come out with me and, and help? And he has since started to engage with lots of other school goers to make them more invent- environmentally aware and to get them to partake in the litter picks on the beach. And Pranchius and his group now, they reckon annually that they clean in excess of 1.5% of the total Irish coastline of marine litter. And 1.5% mightn't sound like a lot, but that is hundreds of tonnes of rubbish that would not be collected only that Pranchius and his group under the banner of Clean Coasts Ballinamona head out there and pick up all of the plastic and the other bits and pieces that gets washed in. So I was thrilled, as I say, when I saw in the Echo this morning the piece to say that he has picked up this Unsung Hero Award. Well done to Pranchius Othuma. And also well done to Kerry Horticulturist, a gentleman by the name of Billy Alexander. He has won a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show. His display of a microcosm of a primeval forest and it's within his own 50-acre Kells Bay Gardens on the Dingle uh, Peninsula. Billy says his garden display a display of rare and unusual tree ferns was the culmination of more than two years of work and many, many decades of dreaming. He says uh, to win gold at one of the world's most prestigious show is a milestone in his uh, career and I saw him on the news yesterday and I saw that the garden he brought to Chelsea and it looks incredible uh, I would love to get to see his 50 acre Kells Bay Gardens on the Dingle Peninsula so uh, well done to him and it's picked up in all of the papers today congratulations Billy and actually talking of gardening we will have our resident gardener Peter Dowd will join us on the programme later on today so if you do have any gardening questions you can get those in throughout the morning either to Bernie or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103 yesterday on the programme and I think it got kicked off because there was an email in from Tig, one of our listeners who was talking about the state of the roads in Cork and he was just back from a staycation where he'd been travelling up along the west coast and he'd been up along Galway into Donegal and Clare and Mayo and he was talking about all the counties along the way on his road trip and how he started to notice that the road conditions in other counties was far superior to what they are here in Cork and then that led to when he sent the email to talk about just the expense on motoring in this country and you know he spoke about the high cost of car tax and then when you're buying a car vehicle registration tax and he spoke about insurance and of course that then led to people talking about levies that are on insurance and how we're all being crippled with all of these levies well lo and behold don't I open the papers this morning and there's a piece from insurance campaigners who have reacted with anger to proposals from the Department of Finance and the Central Bank 
Bank to set up a new rescue fund that will ultimately be paid by you and I, the policyholders. This is going to be yet another levy to add on to all of the insurance levies that we already pay. And many listeners yesterday were talking about various levies and I was, while I was on air, trying to do a quick Google search to try to find out how many levies do we actually have. have. And I think I managed to find about four of them. It turns out I was short by at least another three. There are already seven, seven different levies on insurance policies in this uh, country. And of course, we know that there is now evidence that motor insurance premiums are finally beginning to fall. And we've waited since April for a fall because we know that the payouts are smaller and the knock-on would be we'll pay less in our premiums. And it's taken a number of months for the premiums to start to come down. So there was a bit of good news that the premiums are coming down. And now we're hearing that there is a proposal to put another levy on top of us, needless to say, the Alliance of Insurance uh, Reform, deeply concerned about the prospect of the new levy. Peter Boland, who we often speak with on the programme on behalf of the Alliance, said that at a time when the government's declared objective is to bring down the cost of insurance, he said the very same government might now be increasing the costs by adding another levy. He said such a move would make the government part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And I also see that the chairman of the Consumers Association, Michael Kilcoyne, getting in on this one, he offered the view that another levy, he says, a sneaky way of collecting extra money from consumers. And then he was noting the fact that some of our listeners pointed out yesterday that levies were often introduced on a temporary basis and he cited in particular the PMPA one, which was probably one of the first levies to be introduced. And he said that now has changed its name rather than it being the PMPA levy it's now called stamp duty Michael Kilcoyne of the Consumers Association said that the insurance crisis in this country meant cover was already hugely expensive and the last thing that policyholders needed was to find themselves funding yet another levy. So just to go through the seven levies that are imposed on customers, so regardless of how much your insurance premium is, there's going to be a levy added on to it. And the first one is that one to the PMPA uh, levy. They they got, well, they didn't get rid of it. What they did was they replaced it, what is now called a 3% general stamp duty levy. And that's on gross premiums on general insurance policies. Then there is a 2% levy on premiums on general insurance policies. And that's to fund what's called the Insurance Compensation Fund. Now, when was that introduced? That was introduced following the collapse of Quinn Insurance. Then there's a 2% levy on motor policies, which is to fund the Motor Insurance Insolvency Compensation Fund. When did they introduce that? On the collapse of the Satanta Insurance Group. Then there's a 1% levy on gross premiums, and that's on certain life insurance policies. Then there's a stamp duty of €1 per non life insurance policy. Then there's a risk equalisation levy. Now that can be up to €449. That's on health insurance uh, policies for people to take out health insurance. And of course health insurance is optional whereas the car insurance one isn't. And then there's the one, there's the 3% levy on motor premiums. Now that funds the Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland. That is probably the one levy that I don't have an objection to because that's the fund 
fund which compensates people who are involved in accidents caused by an unidentified or an uninsured person and that could happen to you or I or any of our family members and nobody would want to be out of pocket because it was a hit and run or whoever crashed into you, whoever caused the accident isn't insured and it shouldn't be your fault. So that's probably the only one of the levies that I really don't have a problem paying. All of the rest, I would love to get rid of them. Now, this is only a proposal, by by the way, and it's not clear if this new, what they're calling a rescue fund, it's not clear at this stage, will it replace any of those existing funds or levies that I've just spoken about are will it be an additional fund that w- will ultimately be, be paid for by the policyholders insurance ireland say so they want the state to await plans for what is a common eu insurance rescue fund and they're saying wait for that to come in before setting up a new fund uh, here but if i was to put money on will this new rescue fund replace any of the existing ones i would say no indication in the past that when they introduced new levies that were replaced any of the existing ones so I would think no. Now you know the Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue uh, was a spokesperson for him was asked to quote and he they said a levy on policyholders they say is not proposed as part of the consultation at this current juncture. However you've got finance experts are insisting that any levy that's introduced on insurance companies will almost certainly be passed on to policyholders because that's what they've always done in the past and that's what they will do into the future. So I you know, I think Michael Kilcoyne, I think, is the one who sums it up uh, well. Or sorry, it, was my, it wasn't, sorry, it was Peter Boland for the Alliance of Insurance Reform saying, you know, the government have been doing their best to try to call in the insurance companies and trying to force them to reduce premiums. And suddenly now, if this, this proposal does go ahead, then suddenly they become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. It makes no sense to me. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp us this morning to 0862. 103 103. I've just been asked to mention that there is a stop and go system in place from Hosford's Garden Centre on the N71. It's for traffic travelling to abandoned from the city and it finishes at Gagan Community Centre. Now that stop and go is going to be in place from today until Wednesday of next week. You can expect delays in the area because of that stop and go and the advice is if at all possible please, please avoid. And when I mentioned about Prontius Othuma picking up that Unsung Hero Award for his environmental work, uh, Chris Kipper in Fromoy, who runs the Wheelie Boat, says Patricia was delighted to hear of the award for, for Prontius Othuma in uh, East Cork and his team for the great work that they do cleaning up the coastal areas. I had my own little team cleaning along the bank from the Wheelie Boat in Fromoy last Saturday and Chris Chris has sent on a picture of uh, Paddy and his best friend Porrick. He said it's good to teach the young environmental uh, issues and they, uh, they were out with their high-vis jackets on and life jackets as well, uh, cleaning up. So well done to young Paddy and to Porrick and thank you Chris for that. Hope you are keeping well on insurance costs and says how can we get rid of all of these levies on our insurance? That's the problem. We can't
can't. And if you want to take out the insurance and with car insurance, you have to take it out. You have to pay all those levies. That's what is the very, very frustrating thing. And then to read in here this morning that there's talks of there possibly being another one is infuriating to add to the seven that are already in place. Liam is in Bruff. He says the high cost is not because of the claims. Uh, Lehman Brough reckons we have too many insurance companies to cater for our small population they have to charge the high premiums as they don't have enough customers but isn't the argument always been that we, the more insurance companies you have the better the competition is there that they'll fight like Billio to get uh, customers isn't that argument always put forward because I know when you lack competition in the insurance sector and that certainly has happened when it comes to public liability and people who work in certainly in the children's, you know, the playground industry and the indoor playgrounds uh, for kids, they've ended up over the years only having one insurance company. They might have started out many years ago when there would be three, four and five insurance companies they could go to for a quote, but one by one insurance companies started dropping away and they were left with one company and then of course if you're left with one company, that one company can charge uh, what they like. So there is always the argument that competition is good, but maybe you're right, maybe we just have too much competition and therefore they're charging because they can't afford to make profits. 1850 333103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, as we've already discussed this week on the programme, relatives of residents in the Onakara Centre in East Cork are deeply concerned about the HSE's decision to close the unit and relocate the 19 residents who live there to other facilities. Yesterday, the HSE was called before the Oireachtas Subcommittee on Mental Health to outline why they feel this centre should close to see how they went. I'm joined by Cork East uh, Dáil Deputy uh, Pat Buckley. Good morning to you Pat. Good morning Patricia. Uh, and uh, you're welcome. Now what reasons do the HSE give for the closure? And this closure remember is happening in a little over a month's time, the end of October. What reasons did they put forward? Um, to be honest with you, if I, it was a fairly frank meeting I have to say and when I did get my opportunity I did raise the concerns of the people from the their, their issues, I suppose, from Monday night's um, public meeting. They're still going on the, the issues with the, the building, and the, and the building is not fit for purpose. But we, we've argued and argued very stringently that, I mean, this this has been an ongoing issue and subject of many um, mental health commission uh, reports. And funny enough, I only just got my hands on the most uh, recent inspection, which was the focused inspection from September the 20th this year, and I just went through to um, just this morning. And the, the findings here, and this is the argument I had with the HSE yesterday, is the HSE are the landlords, right? Mm-hmm. And technically, those patients or those people, I don't like calling them patients, those people are tenants. Yeah, they're residents. Like, yeah, they're, yeah, tenants, yeah. Is, yeah, residents. Yeah. And it's like saying that the landlord did not uh, keep his premises up to standards, left to fall away, and it's the, the tenants now that have to move out because of health and safety issues, but they're not responsible for what's going to happen to the patients. OK, but if the HSE accepts that this building is not fit for purpose, did they outline, or have they looked at, what would it cost to make it fit for purpose? We were, we've asked those questions. They couldn't give us the figures on it. But there was a 
very, very interesting line on one of the reports, and I challenged them on it. And I'll quote it for you. It's, it's under the heading, The Future of the Site. It says, currently the site will be reviewed with Cork Kerry Community Health Care to confirm what healthcare services are required in the area and whether the site is suitable for the delivery of any of these services. So I said, I asked them, I said, what, what do you mean is it suitable for any of these services? Every one of these services are needed. If, it, if anything else, you should be adding to those services when it serves the community. So for me, it was a total lack of respect for everybody that's associated with the Onocora Centre. It's also a lack of respect for the service users and their family. We have got no clarity and no honest replies on the assessment of each individual. We were trying, I was basically fobbed off that these assessments had been ongoing for years because the people were there for years. I said, that's not the question I asked. I said, did you do individual assessments on each of those people? Because I'd been informed that some patients were crying. They were that upset with the shock of this. The family members are still not being uh, briefed properly. Well, we we spoke with with uh, Mary Hardy, one whose uh, relative lives there, and you know, Mary was saying her relative is there twenty five years. I mean, it's not yeah. that somebody's just it's been in the building, yeah, a, a week or two. But I, I, but I'm still baffled as to what would it cost to bring it up to to scratch. If they say if they said to you, we can't give you the, those figures, do we take it from that? that they haven't even looked at getting an estimate of what would it cost to make it fit for purpose? I would certainly have to concur with you there, Patricia, yes. I mean, this is where, I mean, I came out of that meeting yesterday extremely angry, extremely disappointed, and so did other members of that committee. And we weren't, uh, I say, being polite, they'd be impressed with the members and the management of the HSC. Um, I did ask them did they have, when was, did they visit the centre in the last 12 months. Two of those three uh, witnesses said they did come down but they didn't go into the centre because of COVID. Funny enough, they never had a COVID case in the uh, centre anyway. But my, my book... Well, could, 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 could they not go in now? Everyone is vaccinated, you know, and sure, yeah, we're opening up we society. Look, I've, I've, I've been in touch with uh, the health minister's office in September and in July, also the Minister for Mental Health, I've requested to meet him. I've asked him to come down and have a look at the centre for themselves. Uh, all I've got there is acknowledgements. I'm working with the Mental Health Commission now and I'm working with our spokesperson, Mark Ward. We're in the middle of uh, a joint committee and subcommittee meeting with Mental Health Reform and um, Mental Health Ireland right now at the moment as well. And yeah, but and, and could I suggest could, could I suggest outside of people coming and physically looking at the building and pointing out what's wrong? What we most need are for the people making these decisions to sit down with the residents, to sit down with their relatives, and for their voices to be heard in the middle of all of this. Because that's the one thing I feel: the voices of the residents and their and their relatives who know them best they don't seem to be heard by the people who are making the decisions. You're absolutely correct because there has never been dialogue. And that's that's where the crux of the crime is in this. This was decided in a room, because I said in the meeting yesterday, they said they held a number of meetings. I said, you must have been talking to yourself because there's no communication outside of that. What they said, the implementation group has met on a weekly basis since July. And I actually have them back there. I must only have spoken with themselves. 
you're right, there is no communication. What we actually need here is a public meeting with the HSE and get, we say, everybody, like who was there last Monday at that meeting, they're the experts when it comes to what these services services are like in East Cork. They're yeah, well, I don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if they'd agree to a public meeting, but even to, have, even to have the 19 residents... And, and their representatives. And I know some of those residents mightn't even have anyone to advocate on, on their behalf. And I'm, I'm very conscious of that as well. I heard um, Labour Jail Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock uh, on the news earlier uh, saying, could asking the HSE to put a stay on the closure because the clock is really ticking here. And the danger is that if they close it at the end of next month and all of the residents are dispersed to wherever they're dispersed to, there won't be a hope of getting it reopened or a hope of keeping this little group uh, together. Is there any indication that they might put a stay on it and just give everybody a bit of breathing space and let's look at it again? Well, they have, the question was asked, you know, is, is October 31st the end all and be all of it? And the HSE said no, not necessarily. But they want to use that, that line because, and you're right, there are some uh, people in there that do not have anybody to represent them, that have been there a long, long time. It is their home. And if they refuse to go, then we have other issues with people's rights and stuff. So, I mean, the campaign here is they keep focusing that the building is not fit for purpose. That is not those people's fault. That is not the patient's fault. It's not the family's fault. And it's certainly not the people in the public in East Cork's fault. It's the HSC's fault for not maintaining premises and investing in structural buildings as well as services. But they're using the excuse today that it's out of their control. They're saying that it would cost too much to refurbish. But yet they can't they, but yet they can't say how much that too Absolutely. much is. Yeah, yeah. You we know, have, look, Patricia, I have at least I can't even tell you how many parliamentary questions in on this. And the problem we have at the moment we started back in uh Late June, I think it was early July, with my parliamentary questions to the HSC on, on all aspects of this. What's happening with the property? Is the property actually, is the building owned by, by the HSC? Is the property owned by the HSC? Is it leased? All these questions. Are and it is, it is owned by the HSC, isn't it? We don't know. And that's, we, we've been kind of been told that it is, but I've, I'm being totally blunt with you here. I have got but nothing back from the HSC yet and I have resubmitted them and I put them into the ministry. Am I right in saying it's, like it's, it's open about 30 years? Oh, it's, well, it's nearly, it's in the 70s, maybe even could be late 60s. Uh, but it's, it's always operated, it's always been operated by the HSC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, and then go back to that meeting, that the public meeting that was held on uh, Monday night. I saw uh, Cork East uh, Fine Gael Dáil Deputy David Stanton say in his 25 years in politics, He's yeah. never been at a sadder meeting. Absolutely. And I, I would absolutely agree. Um, even talking to you now, I mean, I'm at uh, mental health issues for the last long, long time. And, you know, you meet people and families privately and, you know, different discussions and cases you come across over the years. It was one of um, very, of excitement to see so many there, number one. I was in awe of the honesty from people that, you know, took it upon themselves to stand up and tell their stories on the night. But and that's not an easy. That's, that's not, not an not, easy thing to no, do. No, it was. It was, and it is very, very upsetting. And I, I tried to reiterate that to the HSC yesterday. 
and I put it across as blunt as I could with him for the fact that I said, they'll have to come down. This is not about blocks and mortar. This is about people and it's about the service. And you can't be saying, well, there's only 15 or 16 or 20 or 40 people in this. There's going to be people coming into the service all the time, but they seem to be ignoring that. We've all been kind of jointly agreed that the committee is not, or the service is not to go. We're, we're all in agreement here and we're going to try and work together to put pressure on the minister and the Taoiseach to say, right, the stay has to stay on that. The alternative here is not to close the service. Yes, we agree the building is not fit for purpose. We'll put something there that is state-of-the-art that will last for another 100 years and improve the services. That's what I asked for, because one of the people at that meeting actually said that. It, we should be building a state-of-the-art service for East Cork. I mean, East Cork, you're, you're talking about maybe a population that's centred with service, the population in the range of around 94,000 people. We need more of these facilities. Absolutely. Not less. I, no, we really yeah. do. I can see a lot, a lot of listeners commenting on this. Uh, Anne says, uh, listening to your guest, our guest is uh, Sinn Féin Cork East Old Deputy uh, Pat Buckley. Listening to Pat talking about the building being closed down. This is home to all of those residents. It's an absolute disgrace. Uh, could it have something to do with financial gain? It sounds a little bit suspicious to me. Heidi says, Patricia, the HSE officials would soon be doing something if this was concerning one of their relatives. But again, I say, why don't they go around, ask the questions, go into these places and sit down and speak to the people who are provi- who need and use the services and then take a look at the bigger picture and then make the decisions. And hi, just listening to your discussion there, has anyone established the value of this site in Onakar outside Middleton and whether the HSE have any purchase offers on it? It might go somewhere to explain why there isn't any information available on the cost of upgrading the current facility. Patient-centred care is the greatest paradox in our public health system. And, and that is a good point. Do we know what the HSE, if they were, and if they do go ahead with closing it at the end of, of October, what are their plans for Onakara? I mean, they're not just going to let tumbleweed blow around it, are they? Well, this is, again, this is where the, 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 the anger within myself on this is, I have all those questions submitted with nearly two and a half months to the HSE and I'm still getting generic replies. Sorry, we've been hacked. We can't answer your questions at the moment. We'll tell you when you can ask questions again and we'll, we'll answer. So I then resubmitted all my questions directly to the Minister for Health and believe it or not, the reply back I got was, sorry, this is a matter for the HSE. I've referred your parliamentary questions to the HSE. So I'm going back into the melting pot. As it comes to prices and how much that site is worth, I can guarantee if we ask the question, we'll be told, oh, it's commercially sensitive. But it's not about... I'm trying to get it, and and your your listeners there were spot on. Every one of them hit the nail on the head. As I said, I'm in the middle of a meeting with Mitten Health Reform, Mitten Health Ireland, and we're talking about community, primary care, everything within the community and being community-led, acknowledging the volunteers here and the HSE are talking about a building and we can't fix it. We don't know how much it costs to fix it, but we're going to close it. We don't. We, we kind of have a plan for the patients, but I know we've only four weeks left and we only started this week and actually trying to talk to people. This is, this is 
is a, is an absolute mess. A, a total yeah, mess and what's an what's really spread. frustrating here? Here is a mental health facility in the community, and by all accounts, very much integrated into the community. And this is a centre that's working. Okay, we have a problem with the building, but the actual ethos of what's going on inside in Onakara is working. And yet, because we've got an issue with the building, we're going to close it down. Liz is saying, could somebody not get their own engineer and check the building and do cost repairs? I wonder if that's something, I know the friends of Onakara, or if they went out and fundraised, started up a GoFundMe page or something, and got the costs uh, together. And actually get an engineer, get somebody privately to go in and look and, and tell us how much would it cost to bring this building up to scratch? You're right, but it, and that's just most recent report that I have. And you can get it yourself. It's the Onakara Focused Inspection Report 2021. Uh, as I said, I read it. These, as you said, those things about wiring and so on and so forth. I will give you a quote on page 12 of 15. Non-compliant, risk rating. This is the recommendation and what the findings of the Mental Health Commission found on a, a specific issue, which was um, uh, safety. Fire safety. The registered proprietor did not ensure that the risk management policy implemented throughout the proof centre as structural risks, including mixture points, were not removed or effectively mitigated. The registered proprietor did not ensure that the fire risk identified in the fire assessment report had been addressed. So the HSE have actually been ignoring all the recommendations right up to this was the second the date here. The but the, but the Mental Health Commission with all of their reports, they didn't advocate for closure. No, I never did. Yeah, yeah. Never did. OK, and, and all right. So where, where, where are we now? Uh, you don't seem you to, that you got very far uh, yesterday. What's happening now from the HSE point of view and from the Oireachta subcommittee yesterday? I'm, we're, we're having a meeting. I'm trying to get all the TDs together. And I, what I'll be asking for, and I'll be asking the public to do it as well, is right to the four main bodies here. The Taoiseach, the Minister for Health, the Minister for Mental Health, and Chief Executive of the HSE, and ask them to put a stay on this. Look at the service, and you said it yourself. This should be a pilot model for the rest of the country, because this system has been working, and has been working excellently. And why try and fix something that's broken? Um, I will be meeting, speaking with Mental Health Reform, Mental Health Ireland, and also the Mental Health Commission, hopefully then today or by today or tomorrow I'm actually due next maybe in the next two minutes to actually speak with Mental Health Reform and Mental Health Ireland on my committee meeting here and see what they they think of it because this is exactly what we need and I think Dean's story here Patricia is people are very angry now as well as saddened on this and disgusted that I think this will escalate and there'll be public rallies on it and everything because by hook or by crook and it's been agreed by all cross-party members of all TVs and all county councillors and fairness that this service does not need East Cork. OK, and can I also say that on all of the TDs and councillors and uh, public representatives who attended, well done to each and every one, one of you. Nobody is using this as a political football. Nobody oh, is not. trying no. to claim I'm better than the next. Everybody's no. in there for the betterment of these residents and that is what it is all about. But I think more than anything now, uh, we, we the, the HSE, there needs to be a pause on the closure of the centre while everyone can take stock and it can be looked at again. I think that's where the urgency is because we're nearly at the end of September. The end of October is going to come in the blink of an eye. Pat, I've got to leave it there. We will be Your back. Lady. 
stay in contact with us uh, on this one, Pat. Thank and th- thanks for joining us. Bye bye, bye bye. That is Cork East Sinn Fein Dáil Deputy Pat uh, Buckley on the what happened yesterday at that HSC Arachta subcommittee on mental health, and the HSC were called in before the Arachta subcommittee, even though it doesn't look like that they got any of the answers, certainly answers to questions that I was looking for, and I know the the residents and their families uh, were looking for. I can't believe that at least somebody hasn't gone in and done a costing on this building to say how much it would cost uh, to bring it up to make it fit for purpose which is what the HSC want but more than anything we need to listen to the residents and we need to listen to their relatives and we need to be aware of those who can't advocate on behalf of themselves some of the residents here are very very vulnerable people uh, 1850 333 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Now a study on tobacco use by young people shows that the rate of smoking in teenage boys has increased in this country for the first time in some 25 years. To discuss the results of this survey, I'm joined by Professor Luke Clancy, who is Director General of Tobacco Free Research Institute here in Ireland. Good morning to you, Luke. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, this is research that's carried out every four years in 35 European countries. How concerned are you to see an increase in smoking by our teenage boys? Well, as you said, it's the first time that this has been observed. We've been looking at it now for the 25 years, and this study was, as you suggest, a European study called ESPAD, which is European School Survey, and it, we're the principal investigators for Ireland, and this, uh, what we're talking about today is a, a paper based on one bit of this, uh, written by myself and my colleagues, Salome Sunday and Dr. John Hannafin, and We have been monitoring this and it's a signal that something is going wrong. We were really pleased. We've been watching the decline and as you know, there's a decline in adult smoking. This has continued and the government has a policy of getting smoking below 5% in the country by 2025. Now, we've done previous research which says that that won't happen, but we did think and believe and show that if things went this way they were going, that boys and girls aged 16 would be below 5% in 2025. And this would be very important because it means mean in the future we wouldn't have so many deaths and disabilities from smoking. So this is a kind of a warning that something is going wrong. Yeah, and that's what we need to do. We need to get to the young people so that they don't take up smoking because many smokers will admit that they started smoking in their teenage years and then ended up with this lifelong addiction and will tell you how hard it was to quit the habit. So if we have this concern about teenage boys, is it also reflected in teenage girls? It is. I mean, interestingly, teenage girls in Ireland were much bigger smokers than the boys. Uh, When we started this uh, 20 years ago, girls were 40% of them were smoking, whereas only about 30% of the boys, 34% of the boys. And gradually over the years, it's declined in both until in 2015, uh, they were equal. But now we've seen this upward trend. The girls have stabilised. It hasn't gone up this time, but it has gone up in the boys. And we looked at all of the things that were associated. We know the things that encourage smoking, like peer smoking, like lack of regulation, like advertising, price, 
and so on. And we looked at all of those things in all of the surveys. And the big sticking out thing this time was that e-cigarette use had dramatically increased in this group, both ever use of e-cigarettes and current use. And that was the, the outstanding finding, as it were, in so much as we know all of the other things, and yet this is the one that mattered. And we found that if you had ever used cigarettes, and particularly if you're using them currently, you're more likely to smoke. And this affected both boys and girls. And in fact, the tendency was perhaps even greater in the in the girls. But it was about, you were 50% more likely to smoke if you'd used e-cigarettes. So well, and we, that's interesting because a lot of adults will say that they quit smoking by going on e-cigarettes. That it wasn't the other way around, that they started on an e-cigarette and that led them to smoke an actual... Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, obviously that wasn't possible for most adults because they weren't around. Yeah, yeah. And it is true that some people find e-cigarettes helpful to give up smoking. There are lots of other w- good ways as well. But e-cigarettes can help uh, people to stop smoking. But in our survey, we asked the young people about this, and only 3% of them had used e-cigarettes to stop smoking. And in fact, two-thirds of these children had never smoked a cigarette when they had their first e-cigarette. Wow, wow. So there is a link there that it actually helped to move them on. It uh, seems true. Now, we all know the dangers of uh, smoking, uh, Luke. Do we know the dangers of vaping? On e-cigarettes? Well, they, you know, the big push on these is that they're not as dangerous as cigarettes. Yeah. And they shouldn't be because they're not as dirty. You know, there's nothing that is legally bought that's as bad for you as uh, cigarettes. So it couldn't be as bad as that. Yeah. But what we're worried about with children, yes, there can be some uh, damage from e-cigarettes and there's been links and lots of stories about some dangers with it. But what we're more concerned with is that it may be linked with smoking. And there are theories why, you know, gateway theories or common liability theories or cashless theories. There's lots of uh, thoughts about why it is that it should make children smoke. For instance, in the United States, there's a, an epidemic of e-cigarette use, and they're worried, they haven't seen much of it yet, they're worried about what effect this will have on smoking, because one thing is that they, even though nicotine is not as bad as cigarettes, nicotine is addictive. Mm-hmm. And if you're addicted to nicotine, then the worry is that you may start cigarettes or other drugs or whatever. So there is a real importance in them never using e-cigarettes. It is a bit difficult, as you say, because in adults, they have found that some people actually use them to give up smoking, although in adults, too, the most common thing is to use both. Yeah, And yeah. there's very little benefit if you use both. both. Yeah, and but, but do you not have to be over 18 to purchase e-cigarettes? Sure, you, you have to be for cigarettes know, as true. well. That's true. That's true. There's <laughs> ways that around that. Yeah, there's ways. There's ways around that. I um, mean, what's really worrying is the advertising. Now, in the olden days, the advertising was pictures of glamorous people and so on. Nowadays, it's delivered directly 
to the young people through uh, social media platforms with individually tailored messages which they can predict from having access to their data because they're always on nowadays. So we're very worried about how they're being contacted through social media because this seems to be the way it's done, the way mm. they get them to try these e-cigarettes. And of course they come in all different flavours so it's very easy for, for a young person uh, to actually take it up. It's not going to taste disgusting like a cigarette does exactly. for the first time that, that somebody um, smokes. Right. Um, the, the government are obviously working on next month's uh, budget, uh, Luke. Are you calling for an increase in the price of cigarettes and, and tobacco and does that help people to quit the habit? It absolutely does. Price is the biggest uh, disincentive to smoking. So we're always calling for that. But there's a lot more needed for e-cigarettes because it's so subtle in how they're getting to them to use them and the message about them being safe. And there's a lot to be done educationally as well. You know, the the schools have a role here and peers have a role. We know that if your peers smoke, you're more likely. Regulation. We found, for instance, that if your parents knew where you were on Saturday night, you're much less likely to use an e-cigarette. So there's a lot of messages we can get through and the government, they they do need and we have advised them. For instance, one of the things I'd like to see is, you know how there's these outside areas where people are allowed smoke? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there shouldn't be. That's over. We try that and now people go out and it becomes glamorous. But worse still, a, a lot of people believe that e-cigarettes are all right to use inside. And of course, when people see that, they say, oh, are they smoking? So this, the denormalization of smoking, which has occurred, is under threat from e-cigarettes as well. But it, it's very interesting that, you know, with smoke-free, when they banned it in bars and so on, this had a profound effect on children as well. Now you'd say they're not in the pubs and they're not in the workplace. Yet what we do in society matters to children and what they see their parents doing matters to children. So there's a lot that the government can do, but it's both in price and advertising and uh, vending machines. All of these things matter. Uh, But as well as that, there's the example and the education which is needed. But there's certainly the government are going to have to look at their aim of making the government tobacco, sure the country tobacco free by 2025 which would be below 5%. We haven't a hope of doing that in, in four years time. Alright Luke listen we leave it there. Thank you for that Thank and thanks for joining much. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Professor Luke Clancy of the Tobacco Free Research Institute with the worrying news that young boys in particular are taking up uh, smoking. Pat and Kilmalik is on to us uh, wondering does any of the listeners know if TCP liquid antiseptic has gone off the market Pat and Kilmalik says he doesn't seem to be able to buy it uh, locally Good. Well, I know I have a bottle in the cupboard it's kind of one of those things you buy and it'll last you for ages the smell of TCP brilliant what it does but the smell just floors me but anyway I, um, I would say a chemist shop I'm trying to think if I've seen it in the supermarkets. I certainly would. I've done a quick Google search. There's nothing to indicate it's been taken off the market. But Pat's in Kilmalik. Have you tried your chemist shop, uh, Pat, if you're not getting it in your local supermarket? I'd say a chemist is probably your best option. But if anybody, uh, TCP liquid antiseptic, have you purchased it recently? Have you noticed that it's hard to get? It could be an issue. And I'm not saying it is, but is it an issue with Brexit? You, you, you will notice in our supermarkets that parts of the supermarket shelves 
wells are empty and that there's supply line difficulty and we know that there's a huge there's a huge problem well there's two it's kind of a double blow we've got the problem with Brexit but we also have the problem where there's a shortage of truck drivers and there has been since the pandemic and that's having a knock-on effect that it's hard to get deliveries in so it could be to do with that as well but my advice would be to call into your local chemist and see if they can sort you out. Thank you for your text Pat to 0862103103. We were talking about the proposed closure of Onakara in Middleton and the fight is on now to try to hold on to this unit particularly for the 19 residents that live there. That's reminding Jimmy and Donnerell of something that happened in North Cork a number of years ago with Heatherside Community Hospital. Johnny says that was a massive facility. The HSC at the time, Sajani, spent about €3 million Euro in renovations. Remember that? It was all done up. And then six months later, they decided to uh, close it. What's happened now? It's in total ruin. And according to, G- to Johnny and Donald, it's actually up for sale at the moment. And there was huge talk and people were wondering at the time when the HSC decided to close Heatherside. And there was a lot of of really, really upset people locally when Heatherside closed. And there was a lot of talk that was there a long-term plan and what would the HSC do with it? And they did nothing, unfortunately, nothing. According to Johnny, it is now up for sale. And Mary and Dumami, no, I have to put my hands up and say I didn't see this last night. was watching Primetime last night. I'll try and see if I can watch it on, on catch-up TV later today. But Mary says it was scary. It was all about hacking. And she said they showed by buying software that can cost as little as €30. Euro. And if you've got a hacker who knows what they're doing with the right software, how they can get into your password, as I say, on software that costs as little as €30. Uh, Euro. We all have to be so careful. I mean, only John Green talking to us on the programme on Monday on what happened to him with his bank account on Friday. So you just have to be so, so careful about monitoring your bank account and making sure that there isn't anything untoward happening. And then, of course, you have to totally bring your a game if you are answering a text message actually only just there at news I just spotted on my phone there was a text message and there's a text message from from I think it's a, let me see the number on it I think it was it's an 08 something number let me just check the number on it um, an 085 uh, number saying uh, your package R8Z is arriving online tracking and then asking me to go to click this away click this website which obviously I'm not going to click this website am I waiting on a package I actually am but I know well that that is a scam so do be careful of that those texts are still doing the rounds 1850 Hi Patricia I definitely saw TCP on the shelves in Tesco in Mallow if that's of any use to Pat in Kilmallock thank you for that Bernie's taking your calls 1850 C103 Jobs A warehouse sales operative is wanted for Lee Valley in Inchigila, warehouse experience and good computer skills would be necessary. Send your CVs please to dennis at leevalley.ie. General labourers are required for North Cork. Painting experience would be an advantage for driver's licence essential 087 Electricians are wanted That's for an immediate start across multiple locations including Kinsale in Ringeskiddy. Call Ryan at 087-184-1776 and shuttering carpenters are wanted for work in Ringeskiddy. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com.
www.thepeopleshow.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, Bandon Family Centre, which is a major resource to people in the area, say they're now challenged by cramped conditions and they're seeking a new location. To discuss this further, I'm joined by Sheila Cahalan, who's the chairperson of the Bandon Family Centre. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning, Patricia. And, and Thank you very much. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Now, there's over 100 family resource centres dotted all over the country, of which the Bandon family... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Family Centre is one. Can you outline firstly how your own centre came about and the services that you actually offer? Right. The Bandon Family Centre has been fully operational in Bandon with the last three years, uh, Louise Hackett would be the uh, coordinator, and I think she's a person who's well known around Bandon. Over the the last few years now, our staff has grown, and we have an administrator and two part-time family support workers. So um, they provide great service to the people in Bandon, and yes, it may not be well known. Um, examples of how they can help people, it's mainly for um, children, young people and their families that the the service is being offered and uh, they can give support to people when they're challenged in bringing up their families. They can give support about information or uh, there's particular services 
uh, that we're, we've we've been giving. Okay, and hugely hugely successful. And and where are you currently located? Okay, most people in London would know where the tourist office was. It's just opposite from Keller's Hardware. It's in the County Council car park. It's a um, small little building. Yeah, what are the problems with your current location? Well, it's just too small. Yeah. As our staff increases and then with all the restrictions in relation to COVID, we don't have time and uh, space enough for all the activities that are going on because we may have different practitioners in the building. Maybe there would be um, a counsellor in the building, the administrator. And I know the service that we offer as well is access visits where children who may be not living with their families, they might be in care, but they could come and meet their families at our centre. And like we'd like to have a nice set up yeah, where there yeah. and might be need, space for them to play in that. And you need yes. individual rooms for that, uh, for for sure. And then if you had somebody else, as you say, who's coming in for counselling, they need to be in another room. You need to have office space for the admin. So I can I can see already that you're you're faced with uh, problems. You mentioned COVID. How have you been managing during the pandemic, Sheila? Well, I suppose like all places where people work out of offices, our staff worked from home when they could. They rotated when they might come in. But also, they were very challenged in supporting families who were trying to do the homeschooling and were short of uh, credit for their phones. We gave a lot of help um, to people at that stage with um, meeting electricity bills and things like that. And um, I suppose also we're very aware of the impact that that has had on families and on their mental health. Yeah, it has been a, it has been certainly a challenging time. So describe to me what an ideal new location would look like. Right. I suppose our dream location would be something that would be on the level so to be easily accessible for people who are disabled or who would be bringing in buggies and prams and things like that. So maybe a bungalow or a ground floor location. And uh, with, um, as you mentioned, a number of different rooms and maybe one larger room for our groups. And um, ideally then that there would be a garden space or an area where people could play and meet out of doors as well because now people prefer to have discussions out of doors than inside often. Mm. Yeah, we're we're definitely seeing that um, uh, more and more. And have you looked around, and it needs to be obviously as central as possible to the town abandon. Have you you looked around to see if there's any suitable locations that you could work with? Well, um, we have done our best to follow all the leads and inquire and the uh, proper, the estate agents and that. Um, so at this stage, I think we're putting a plea out to householders, business people, anybody in Bandon who might know of a premises that might suit us, mm. you know, and maybe they'd get in touch with us and we can talk further about how it might be of assistance to us. Um, yeah, well, like t- we're take a look at a little it. bit of space in other premises like Jack and Friends have been very good to us. Um, that's um, another... Um, voluntary agency in Bandon. But uh, we need our own premises. How are you funded, by the way, Sheila? Tusla. Tusla, Tusla is our main funder. Um, Now, I also should mention that, like, the Family Centre, as all the resource centres, are run by a voluntary board of directors. 
So they're the employers, but TUSLA do some of the funding and we seek funding in other areas as well. Okay, so if there's anybody listening who you think has the ideal property, as I say, as central to Bandon Town, please, as possible, how can you be contacted? Right, I'm going to give the telephone number of Bandon Family Centre, which might be of interest to people who are stressed or in difficulty as well, that they contact us. 023-886-107. Bernie is um, the person on the phone there. And which you can also be contacted by email, bernie at cfsbandon.com. Somebody, Michelle, has just sent in a text uh, listening with interest to you, Sheila, and says, what about, could you relocate to the Bandon Watergate Centre in Ardan as they are moving into the new health centre soon, Michelle believes. Is that something yes. you've looked at? We have looked at it, but yeah. we'd be happy to talk to them again. Great, if, um, yeah. Yes, yeah, suggestion. Yeah, well well done, you. well done, Michelle. Okay, listen, staying, keep in contact with us, uh, Sheila, and let us know how you get on and if we can be of any further assistance. Thank you very much. Okay, Patricia. good Thank morning you. to you and good luck to everybody at the Bandon Family Centre doing terrific work. 1850-333-103. We were talking about smoking in this hour with Professor Luke Clancy, Dan in Rathmore, Sasai Patricia. Surely at this stage, uh, everybody who runs or works in a supermarket or a shop knows how bad smoking is for everybody, including their own children. Yet they still continue to sell cigarettes. I plead with them to do the right thing and stop selling cigarettes to people. And that's for everybody's uh, sake. If I'm assuming from that, Dan, if you had your way, you would ban smoking entirely can't ever see that happening but uh, I sense that's what you're calling for and then somebody else this was on Professor Luke Clancy saying you know every single year coming up to budget groups like uh, Ash Ireland and the Tobacco Free Research Institute that Professor uh, Luke Clancy is with they always push for an increase in cigarettes in the budget nine out of ten times there is always an increase because there is a direct collation when cigarettes go up in price there will be a knock-on effect that people decide to quit. It does work. Price is important and it's certainly important for young people. You just question, I think, the price is, no, I haven't smoked in a while, thank God, in a good few years. It's about €20, is it, for a packet of cigarettes? Now, I'm open to correction, but I'm sure it's close enough to €20. So I don't understand how young teenage boys are taking up cigarette smoking with the cost, but obviously they have access to better pocket money than I had as a teenager. But anyway, somebody says, no matter what price the cigarettes are, people will still go out and buy them, no matter how much you increase them by. What is Professor Luke Clancy trying to do? The government won't get rid of tobacco. Why? Because they would miss out on the amount of money they make that cut comes out of every packet of cigarettes, every packet of tobacco that's sold. There's so much money in taxation that goes straight back to the government. For that reason, the government will never completely ban cigarettes in this country. This texture, now I don't know if this texture is a cigarette smoker or not, says maybe if they brought down the price, but as I say, the evidence is there that the higher up the price of cigarettes are, it does, it, there is a direct link with people giving up as cigarettes as smoking. If you're talking about banning cigarettes, why not ban alcohol? Uh, alcohol surely is far more dangerous 
dangerous than the fags. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. And just back to the good old TC. CP antiseptic and parole patting Kilmalik desperately trying to get it and was wondering has it gone off the market and somebody reckoned they saw it in Tesco in Mallow well I got a flurry of texts in from uh, people to say firstly Patricia you can't get TCP anywhere in Mallow I know I've been looking for it for months you simply can't get it uh, Jim says I haven't seen TCP for quite some time now as somebody referred to it once as Tom's Tomcat P and it smells a bit like it already. Yeah, the smell of it, I think, is absolutely gross. And then Maura says, Patricia, TCP disappeared off our shelves at the beginning of the pandemic. Obviously, there was a rush for people to buy any kind of antiseptic and disinfectant and they, all of those kind of items went into short supply. Uh, Maura says, it hasn't then been had anywhere since. It's one of the few items that have been very slow to reappear. I managed to get a little bottle in Belfast a few months ago. I believe it is slowly reappearing in shops now tell people to keep looking for it you hopefully will get your hands on it and then I did a quick Google search to find out because I'm wondering is it something to do with Brexit and I'm sure it is to wonder what company makes TCP and all I can find out is that the marketing authorisation holder is a company based in London so I'm taking from the information that I'm reading about TCP it's an English company and if it's an English company it's obviously one of the items some items have been held up and you were having problems shops are having problems getting stock back in and I have a funny feeling that that's what's going on with the TCP as well but somebody's more saying slowly coming back so keep a lookout for it you might be lucky now this Friday a lunchtime concert will be held it's part of the Community Health Month Get Active Get Connected for further details I'm joined by Pauline O'Grady Noonan who is Community Health Worker at La Cayla Family Resource Centre Good morning Good morning, Pauline. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome. Now, this concert is going to be held in the underground car park at uh, La Cayla. So I'm assuming the fact it's underground, if the weather was a bit inclement, you'll be OK, you'll be covered. We would. Yeah. It's the most wonderful find. We're there 20 months now at this stage and it is, as it is, an underground car park. There are no windows at the side, so the wind blows through okay. and there's an entrance at the front and there's just an exit at the back. So it's aerated. Perfect. It's, uh, perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. absolutely perfect for COVID and ventilation yes. and all of that. And yeah. the fact it's covered, it'll keep you dry. Now, tell me who's going to be performing at your lunchtime concert on Friday. So the famous Johnny Bongos uh, is performing. He's going to be our MC as well. Then we have two local women, Judy and Teresa, they're doing line dancing and we're hoping they're going to get the audience up on their feet and do a little bit. <laughs> David Skinner is a local a musician and he's coming with us. And we have a girl here on the staff. Um, she is from Nigeria. Her name is Debbie One and she is going to read a poem about what if, and she wrote it herself and it's a reflective piece and it is gorgeous. So we have the famous Jimmy Crowley then, just before the break. And our break is very short. We're not handing out water or anything like that because there are no toilet facilities. So during the course of the break, we're just handing out boxes for the local Vincent Depaul. They're a very good organisation to us and they work very well with us. So it's a way of saying thank you to them. 
After that, then, we have Jonathan Guitar Sullivan, another local musician. The people in Mellow will know all these. And then there is a dance troupe. And the dance troupe is comprised of mainly myself. Okay. The staff here at Lakela and the staff at CDYS. So we said we'd just get together. It's a feel-good concert. We want everyone to come and enjoy themselves, not take themselves too seriously. And we're dancing to the Jerusalem. Oh, you're doing the Jerusalem dance? Yes. Ah, good on you. You have to get somebody to record that because it could go viral for you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're very lucky. We have Teresa Hayes is our dance teacher and our stage manager from Boston. So we're having our final class today at one o'clock. And then Jimmy Crowley closes and all the other musicians will come on stage. That's brilliant. When I, when I say stage, now it's a small area. And yeah. And we have the men's shed who are absolutely brilliant. They're coming in and they're helping people to get to their seats and all that sort of thing. So we're very grateful to them. And as you say, it's free of charge, but you'll pass the bucket around if somebody wants yes. to throw in a few bob for, for V2P. Yeah, and we have that well highlighted, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of people would, would benefit from St. Vincent de Paul and And I mentioned in the introduction, it's part of your Get Active, Get uh, Connected, and it's a, a community yes. health month that you've been running, in That's fairness, right. throughout the month of September. Has it been a success, the month? Absolutely. Oh, I, absolutely. We started with a nature foraging walk, and we had 31 people at that. So that was absolutely magnificent. And it's an indication of where people are at, you know, they like to come out. And a lot of those people have been working with me since I took up here in June or in January 2020. So following that then with the road safety workshop, that was a closed uh, event because we have two walking groups here. We have a Tuesday one, the cool walkers, and on Thursday we have the strollers. And it is exactly as it says on the tin. So they came to that and it was a Zoom very well attended. And that speaker is coming back again, Caroline Casey. We had one suicide awareness day then, and that is a little initiative. It's a workshop, workshop called Little Bags of Hope. And it's a little bag, and it has items in it that if you're really feeling down or your back is to the wall, there is a little marble in there to say that you haven't lost all your marbles. Mm. There's an elastic band to say maybe you have stretched yourself as far as you can. And little items like that, there's a candle that you can light it for hope or light it for someone you love or you're worried about someone you love. But it's a beautiful workshop and um, that was in the Mercy Centre. We went on then and last Saturday night we had Culture Night. Here in the project we're running a steering befriending programme. It's in pilot stage at the moment. There are three families being befriended by volunteers. And we had a culinary night in the famous underground car park last Saturday night Three women cooking three different dishes, same ingredients. It was a huge success. The Syrian population turned up and the locals turned up and it was magnificent. And, like and did you end up with three very different meals all from the same well, ingredients? Isn't that we great? Did. One woman, one, she's our de- de- community uh, development worker here, Shan Das, and she's married to a Trinidadian. 20 yeah. years, as she'd say. And her take was completely different. And she, luckily enough, did a vegetarian one. I hadn't thought of that. And it was fabulous. And she had the special bread that they eat in Trinidad. And the groups would come and they'd take their taster from Chan. Chan was um, very generous in her helping. And then they went on to Marion Kirk, who's a retired ETB tutor here, one of our Syrian volunteers. And she did the standard chicken and stuffing and all that. Gorgeous. Wolfed down. Yeah. And the Syrian families then had about six or eight dishes. 
They had a beautiful wrap with spinach in it. They had a most beautiful take on food. They had rice with nuts. They had meat. It was just that's gorgeous. A fab, that's a great idea. It's a great, everyone, brilliant, brilliant idea. Everyone was stuffed. So then for dessert, we did old-fashioned jelly and trifle. And people coming then brought food and we shared it around. We had um, bread and butter pudding from long ago. I know I was reared in it. So it was magnificent. So we, on this Thursday night then coming, we have a women's health and well-being event in relation to the menopause. And I suppose we're all well aware of how the menopause can impact on us mentally, physically. But it is, it's something though women need to talk about more, Paul. Oh, because actually, unfortunately, yeah, everyone seems to think they're going through it on their own and they're not. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of them receive, you know, get the wrong diagnosis from their GP. You know, you're yeah, yeah. home, you're mothering too much, all that sort of thing. So that we have... Um, dietitian in, we have psychiatrists, a psychotherapist in and other speakers like that. So it's only going to be a taster and as you say, Patricia, definitely we are going to build on it. Yeah. And get, get, get people talking. All right. So it's been, it certainly sounds like it's been a, a really successful month. And overall, Pauline, because it's funny, I was only talking with the Family Resource Group from Bandon actually um, in, earlier in this uh, hour. How is everything going at Lakela? How has the pandemic been, all the lockdowns and all of that? It's been very strange times. It has. And even for me as a worker to come in, I, I ended up within two weeks doing a job I didn't decipher at all. You know, we had to rethink and rejiggle and all that. But I suppose when we got into it and, you know, the very first lockdown, that was really in relation to the older population and cocooning. And when they came out, it was my brief then to connect with them and to see how they were. And, you know, you know when you when you see a need, that's my job. I have to address it. Yeah. So I was saying to them one day, apart from the awfulness of it, not seeing your family and not getting out, I was saying, how, what was awful? And they said to me, cooking for one, just couldn't do it. Lost it couldn't find the favour, couldn't be any way creative. So my son happens to be a great cook. So last, before last Christmas, we live streamed from our own kitchen at home, cooking for one. Yeah. It was such a success. People tuned in, asked questions. So we're thinking we might put a leaflet together because uh, people were saying, he did that now, I'd love to see. But it's all up on our, our website. But... Um, that was a huge success. He would do a main course and he would also do leftovers. So if you had leftovers, you knew what you had to do. And he actually did the big one. He did Christmas dinner for one. And there are many people who live, it's not just oh, elderly yeah. people, there are many people who live on their own. And yeah. they will say that it's probably one of the hardest things. And, and, and look, every age group, even 20s, find a cheese. Yeah, like, what will I do for one? Yeah. What will I do? Yeah. Listen, it was a pleasure talking to you, Pauline. Good luck with the concert. Do, do people need to register for the concert on Friday? They do. They do. They okay. pre-book with me. And, just and how, do you do, how do you do that? They have my phone number is on the, on the leaflet there and my uh, email address. Okay, it's uh, chp at, at lakela f rc family resource center dot ie and we have your number here on file if anybody's looking for it okay listen before i go can i just very very important men's health checks are on next tuesday for home out on the just outside uh, near little i'm really begging men to come because nurses that were giving the um, the what you call it um oh my god the nurses that were giving the um, covid COVID injection. Yeah, the vaccinations. Well, yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, the men would come in and they would say, look at, 
I have a pain here, or I'm sore here behind my knee, I'm worried about it. And they said they were overwhelmed with the amount of men that asked questions. So, like, again, that is a need. So I would encourage, there is the diabetic nurse that's going to be there and two public health nurses. Brilliant. And where's, it, and it's in four, it's four, four homes on, home. uh, in Mallow on this, yes. on this Thursday, tomorrow? No, this Tuesday coming. This oh, Tuesday next coming. Tuesday, Tuesday so next we'll, week. We'll, yeah, we'll All right. All right, we leave it there, Pauline. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks, uh, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. That is Pauline O'Grady Noon. On Monday of this week, I started the programme by talking about a road that has been described as probably the worst piece of national secondary road in the country. And I speak about sections of the N73 Mitchellstown to Mallow uh, Road. And this is a road that links to the N72, which is on the main route from Killarney to Dublin and we had Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock join us because he was concerned that vital funding for upgrades on part of that road he was fearful that it could be lost as a result of budget 2022 so he was highlighting and saying we need to keep this sort of out there and make sure that TII come up with the funding that's uh, needed. Well, also raising concerns about this stretch of road and has been for quite some time is North Cork Councillor Frank O'Flynn, who joins me now because he raised this uh, this stretch of road at the recent Northern Committee meeting. Um, good afternoon to you, Frank. And uh, uh, Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and, good afternoon, listeners. And unfortunately, you come as the bearer of bad news because you're, you've got the very latest on this. The very, very latest, and it's absolutely devastating news. Uh, as, as everyone knows, this is a notorious danger spot from the Mallet Mitchtown Road, the main route, you could say, to Dublin. Uh, every All the local residents know it, hauliers know it, bus users know it, and, and your school children use it, and it's an absolute disgrace to news. What I was looking for, Patricia and listeners, on Monday was an update. When were they likely to come in? Because I was told, following my motion in June, July, that to start in September, October, we got the budget this year for Cock County Council adopted from the Minister with the allocations for Cock County. And there was one and a half million in it for the water like Cahar. So we're all delighted. We were told in July and June to start in September, October, and to got com- uh, completed by uh, April. I asked for an update, and the response, Patricia, is absolutely devastating. It's not accepted. They're unable to give a commencement date and un- unable to give a time frame. And the TI have stated they are not currently in a position approve any funding for this road. Absolutely. And, there's an and, the, and the, reason, the reason that they give? One is the reason oh, that they're committed to the Dunfettle Interchange and the Valley Bourne is on Road. So they're we saying were, whatever yeah, budget is available for Cork is going to other areas and it's not coming to North Cork is basically exactly. what, they're, what they're saying. Exactly. Now, in fairness to Cork County Council, Cork County Council and the officials there have everything ready to go, don't they? They they have done all of the work that needs to be done just to get TII to say there's the money. We are very Aidan Weir and Brindner Garment. They have everything done. They have all their T's crossed and their eyes dotted. They've purchased the land. They've knocked, cut all down the trees. They've done all the preliminary work. They have the plans gone in. Everything is ready. And I was told by Aidan in June, July, Frank, they're starting in September, October. Here we are with the day. But I'm a great believer. I said at the meeting in June, July, Patricia and listeners, I'll believe it when I'll see shovels in the ground. And I can tell you, my worst fears are, are, were relayed last Monday. It's absolute, none of us expected this reply. No one. There was, no, was rumours, but there no one. Told the God, if we get a budget in Cock County Council in the month of January, February, we adopt it by Cock County Council from the Minister for funding that he gives us for the 2021. 20, uh, and here we are told, maybe three months ago, 
I'm pulling the funding for this this road. I and uh, the N seventy three was like the the Cross. It's Claha Cross to Waterdyke in Chambally Moor. That's the stretch. That's which is about what, what, how many kilometres is that stretch? I'd say it's only about one and a half to two yeah, kilometres. Okay. So it's not, it's you, not, know what, you know it well. I do know it well because I, I, I travel I travel on as well. But it's but it's it's funny because only on Monday again on the programme we had an email in from a listener who was was doing some staycationing and had travelled up around the west of Ireland and was talking about four different counties where he travelled on roads that he said where the conditions were absolutely perfect and he said as soon as he got back into Cork couldn't get over the condition of the roads. I know we have we are the biggest county in Ireland so I accept that we have the most roads but we never seem to get our fair share Frank of funding to, particularly when roads like this are identified you know where there's been countless warnings of accident potential on that stretch of road and we just don't seem to get our fair share I mean what do we need to do here in Cork? We have to stand up and fight on behalf of the residents and the people of Cork and the ratepayers. We are the largest county but also the biggest country for us in property tax and in taxes and road taxes and there's an absolute disgrace what's happening here I, as a councillor, and I would say to my local councillors, we cannot accept this. When, if there's a commitment given, we are told to one and a half million. They can't pull it midstream. It's like taking a match. You, you change the goal first halfway through, the contractors are already ready to start in September, October, and all of a sudden they pull it. We didn't pull anything in relation to the other areas. And why should we in Norcox? This is on, on the boil now for the last 20 years. I think enough is enough. The hauliers have suffered, the bus users have suffered, the local residents have suffered. It's a black spot. Numerous accidents have happened there. The amount of damage that's done to trailers and tractors, and especially mirrors, as I walked in Dairy Wall, as you know, the hauliers there. There was no idea to sit back. We don't want to travel that road. Two cars can't pass that. But that's lives. the road where we had the protest, remember? That's they, the road where we had the protest. Where the trucks went on a, a drive slow just to try to highlight yes. the conditions well, and, the, and stretches of that road. And I can tell the listeners out there and the road users there, we're not accepting this. So I proposed and it was accepted as an immediate deputation to the Minister for Transport, Damon Ryan. Also, an email straight away to the Minister, the minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, and also to Taoiseach Michal Martin. That was agreed last Monday. We, we are going to see that seek that deputation. There was a rumor uh, talking. There was a deputation on behalf of other. I said, no, we'll only ride one horse in this race. That is the water dike, the Traha Cross Road. When we go to the minister, this is what is on our shopping list. Okay, no and it's, it's, I think it's, it's unfair of TII to come out and say, you know, the reason is, oh, well, we've got commitments in other parts of Cork and they name Dunkettle Interchange and the, N, uh, uh, the N22 Ballyvornie to McCroom. It's almost like saying, should look, aren't you doing well out of us already? Yes. You know, that's, that, well, and I, that's not fair. That's not fair to the people who have to travel that road every single day. No, we're all delighted with the Dunkettle under... Uh, yeah, listen, and I'm not, I'm not taking from any of those. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing, why why take the money off of Norcock? It's, it's the main route from, and, and it's the main economic driving force for the towns of Mitchellstown, Fermoy and Mallow. It's one of the two, the two largest co-ops are in the area. The major drive, Mallow and Fermoy, it's, it's a tourist route. With our, it's on just right beside the beautiful Donrell which is absolutely driving. We have Castletown Road, you have Killavolan, you have Ballyhooley, you have Kildalway. It's a very, very busy road. It's a main tourism road on the Blackwater Valley from Mitchelltown all the way down to Killarney. It brings the view from Killarney right up to the Dublin Road. We're not going to accept this line down. But it was extremely busy this summer with people staycationing and, and having to use the road either to go on to other parts of Cork or to go on to Kerry. And just, so keep us updated on that. And just to finish, oh, but just to finish on a slightly better news, there is a bit of good news for Leary's Cross and Castle Lines. 
I'm absolutely delighted for the local residents there because the local residents there fear for their safety. There's been eight and nine serious accidents over the last year, year and a half. And traditional listeners, there was another very serious accident Monday evening. Yeah. Very serious accidents where the two, two cars collided. There was um, the Gardaí, uh, the ambulance service. Uh, thanks be to God, everything will be, and I hope that everyone will, will come out and they'll be safe. But this is going on for far too long, so I'm delighted because I had a deputation in it and I raised it again last Monday. And the good news is our local engineer has no, and told me uh, that he's secured a safety improvement scheme for funding. And that will include offsetting the cross, which is very dangerous, offsetting the junction, improving the sight lines, and also we're delighted that the local landowner has come on board and offered the event. And that's very, very welcome indeed. And I'm delighted that this is going to be stopped when Nagarman told me as soon as possible. Because okay. it's, it's very busy all road. It's all right, from right. From well, keep fighting the fight on the, on the N73, uh, Frank. And no doubt we will speak about it again. But in the meantime, thank you for that. I'm and not uh, taking this line down. We're well, going to fight on behalf of the residents well and keep the business people and the, and the, the hauliers and the bus users. Uh, we need that and we need it in our car keep fighting the good fight sir thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us that is Councillor Franco Flynn as I say we were only on Monday worried about the funding for this road and now our worries have, have come through the funding at TII saying sorry don't have it we're giving it to other parts of Cork Michael in, in Mallow says all the roads are a disgrace right throughout County Cork he's in McCroom at the moment he's already hit two potholes and he's questioning is all of our road tax money is it all going to Dublin uh, ponders Michael in Mallow thank you for that Hi uh, Patricia could they not at least cut the ditches and the dikes on minor roads for a start all the big money does seem to be going to Dublin uh, and look at Cork City they're not getting anything either we need to do something about our minor roads and someone else says Eamon Ryan Green Party uh, Minister has no interest in any country road Uh, maybe he should try to cycle some of them and he would see how bad the conditions are so people very very annoyed uh, with that news coming out from Transport Infrastructure Ireland 1850-333-103 we were talking about cigarettes earlier and I I thought a pack of cigarettes has gone to 20 euro I think it's a box of tobacco has gone to 20 euro I think that's what I was mixing it up with Mary says price of a pack of cigarettes is 14 euro 50 cent it'll be 15 euro maybe I'm telling you by the time the budget is done and JJ's on very much in favour of raising the price of a packet of cigarettes it's the only way to get people to quit The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Cove Rescue Horses now they are a registered charity registering rehabilitating and rehoming abused and neglected horses and ponies they receive no funding whatsoever but now need to carry out essential repairs to shelters fences concreting etc for the upcoming season they reckon it will cost between 6,000 and 7,000 so they've set up a GoFundMe page and you can help by contributing to the GoFundMe page which is Cove Rescue Horses Mallow Active Retirement Group will hold a fundraising coffee afternoon in aid of Marymount Hospice that's happening tomorrow afternoon in the Arches Bar in Mallow all are welcome uh, to support Marymount Hospice and a drive through coffee day in aid of Marymount Hospice is an interesting one will be held at the home of a Sumter Roach Ballybeg in Richardstown she's doing her drive through coffee day this coming Thursday from 9am to 9pm she said all are welcome best of luck 
to uh, Asuntha. She does fantastic work on behalf of Marymount every single year. And Kildallery Home Bingo Books, they're now on sale from all of the usual outlets. This week's snowball prize is €250. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Between the TII coming out saying they don't have the funding for this uh, road, the stretch of road on the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road and then earlier on talking about Onakara and the closure of the centre there. Uh, Heidi saying, Patricia, what is it with these people or officials that go around making these decisions on everything from roads to road signs to our houses, our homes, hospital waiting lists seem to be getting longer. Do they really live on the same planet? Do they see the trials and the tribulations that some people have to overcome simply just to keep going? We need people making decisions that concern us that are true to their profession and it's got to stop being so money orientated. And Heidi also says we need to start protesting like what they do in France. When they're not happy with decisions, what do they do? They take to the streets. It's one way to get our message across. Peaceful protesting of course, uh, says uh, Heidi. Thank you for that. Uh, Hi Patricia. They seem to be spending a fortune on new junctions but by and putting in large footpaths everywhere. Traffic then can't flow. Lorries can't take the turns because they end up mounting the footpaths. Just take a look at all the rubber from tyre marks that you will see. It's ridiculous. Pedestrians seem to be getting wider paths and sometimes the paths are actually wider than the road. Somebody needs to call a halt, says Tony. And it's funny, Tony, because in the wording that came back from TI, Transport Infrastructure Ireland, saying that they weren't in a position to to approve the stretch of road from Clogher Cross to Waterdyke in Shambally Moor and when they quoted the reasons that they were already funding schemes in Cork and they fund the Dunkettle Interchange and the N22 Ballyvorney to McCroom they also say Tony you'll be interested in this they also have commitments associated with projects slash pavements in the uh, county and uh, country. The provision of funding for some other new works is likely to be challenging at present. So they're actually admitting that they are doing up paths. And uh, Tony says, yeah, and if you take a look, a lot of those paths are getting wider and wider. 1850 Back to the TCP for you, please. The TCP can be... People are saying that uh, Tesco have started to get back in TCP but the number of people who've contacted us to say that they have been trying in vain to get it and it does seem to be one of the issues that initially got affected I think with the pandemic and the rush for everybody to buy antiseptics and disinfectants but it does seem that it's tied in a little bit with Brexit as well and I know Bernie phoned around it's a few chemist shops in Mallow just to see you know was it was it anecdotal evidence we were hearing or are they having problems and they've all uh, said yeah they can't get it at the moment that it does seem to be a supply issue but some are saying we're starting to see it come back so please keep a lookout for it and when we're talking about TCP Billy from Wicklow was on and he listens to us he's a truck driver so he always listens to us when he's in the area good to have you along uh, Billy he's noticed that Listerine original seems to be gone off the market. He reckons that it was nearly bulletproof to help you cl- help you clear a blocked or a sore throat. He said there is a newer one, but he reckons that the newer one is not as effective as, effective as the Listine original. And he also listened with interest to me talking about supply chains and all of that. And one of the problems is that there is a shortage of qualified truck drivers. 
And Billy says, there's actually no shortage of qualified truck drivers. The problem is that the qualified truck drivers don't want to work the long hours for the low pay. So there's an issue around pay. I know in the United Kingdom that they have a huge issue trying to get qualified uh, truck drivers, Billy. And one of the reasons they cite was that there was a lot of people, a lot of qualified truck drivers from Eastern Europe who came to the UK and were working as truck drivers. And then obviously with Brexit happened and the pandemic happened, they all went home and of course if they're deciding to come back now because of Brexit because England is out of the EU they're not coming back so they've got an issue with that as well but Billy reckons there's pay and conditions and you're right you work very very long hours when you are a truck driver but good to have you along and stay safe on those roads Billy please and just give me a quick check on other calls uh, that came in we were talking about smoking earlier on Colm in Buttevant on smoking says Sir Walter Rally has a lot to answer for it. Was he who brought the tobacco to Ireland? King Charles II, according to Cullum, who's obviously a bit of a historian, in 1620 tried to ban smoking. Now, they would have had no, wouldn't have known it anyway that it was bad for your health, but King Charles decided enough is enough, but he failed. And the reason he failed was all of his princes and courtiers were smoking and they were already addicted to the nicotine in the tobacco. Colm also agrees with the previous texter. The government will never do an outright ban on cigarette smoking because they simply make too much money on the price of a packet of cigarettes. And John says they may put 50 cent on the price of a packet of cigarettes. It's only going to give the government more revenue. I'm off them seven years, says uh, John in Roscommon, who is listening to us in the area as well. Thank you for that, uh, John. 1850-333-103. Questions coming in for Peter. Can you keep those coming, please? And just, um, there was a couple of listeners, we've been getting calls in and, and texts in throughout the week from listeners whose children have to stay at home because they've got a little bit of a runny nose. And of course, the fear factor is that if you have a little bit of a runny nose, could it be COVID and seemingly schools are saying to some schools. Now it isn't every school is doing this and I read in the papers today that parents and teachers are all facing a bit of confusion over whether a child having a runny nose is enough reason not to send that child to school because the query is could they have COVID-19. The problem arises because there seems to be conflicting advice on the possible symptoms of the virus from the HSE and the Department of Education. Norma Foley for example, the the Education Minister, she was was called on to clarify whether having a runny nose was enough reason to keep a child at home and to make the child self-isolate. It was Sinn Féin's Donnick O'Leary actually raised the issue at the Oireachtas Education uh, Committee and he said the Department of Education's guidelines on symptoms for self-isolation include a runny nose or a stuffy nose. But then in apparently conflicting advice, the HSE guidelines say it is OK to send a child to school if they only have a runny nose or a bit of a a sneeze. Donnick O'Leary says tens of thousands of children have a runny nose at any one time, particularly now that we're in September and that's going to get worse as we go into the winter months. So, Minister for Education Norma Foley and her department's guidelines 
She said, we're basing them on public health advice. She says, the advice at the moment is a child should stay at home if they are unwell. It's a precautionary measure and she says parents know best. She insisted that there's no confusion and efforts have been made to provide clear advice through various channels. She said things like social media, videos from experts and she said they're even doing it in different languages. Responding to claims by the TD that the early weeks of the return to school have been chaotic for some principals who've had to contact parents uh, with the confirmed case. She said that no teacher or principal should be doing their own contact tracing. She said that's why she's keen to have the HSE's public health school teams in place and they've been boosted now she says by extra staff but Labour TD's aide Ono Reardon also claims he's been told that some principals uh, were waiting three to four days for the HSE public health team to uh, arrive and of course it is now planned based on the spread of infection in schools to ease the rules around children who are close contacts and who don't have symptoms at the moment once they're a close contact and they've been identified in their pod, for example, there's a case, they all have to stay home for 10 days, even when they get negative results until they get the 10 day negative uh, result. And that's causing huge, huge problem. So there's talks that they're going to lift that but it is very much, and it would be, it would, it's going to be the end of the month. It's going to be at least another week and a half before any decision is made on that. That if a child is a close contact, as long as they don't have symptoms, they can return to school. And it's all going to be very dependent on the numbers of outbreaks in schools. And I was reading, I spotted this online just since we've come on air, the latest report from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre. And they say there has been an increase in the number of COVID outbreaks in schools. There has been 90 outbreaks recorded. That was in the week up to last Saturday. And out of that 90 outbreaks, it was 412 confirmed cases of COVID-19 but that has been a big jump because if you compare it to the previous week it was 40 outbreaks with 191 linked uh, cases. Of the 90 outbreaks this week, as you've probably guessed it's primary schools are the ones most affected 78 were in primary schools 11 were post-primary and one was in special education and there was one outbreak in the university as well linked to uh, seven uh, cases and of course an outbreak or a cluster is two or more. That It doesn't mean when you hear there's an outbreak in a school it doesn't mean that there's been hundreds have come down with COVID-19. Two or more is deemed uh, an outbreak. So we're going to have to follow and watch those numbers carefully because if they continue to go up, I mean they've more than doubled the number of outbreaks have more than doubled and the number of cases have more than doubled in one week. If that pattern continues then one wonders will the Department of Education put in that plan and allow children who are in a pod to still remain in school if they don't have any of the symptoms because if we're seeing those and the numbers are still low let's you know let's let's not panic get into a panic here because when you look at the number of what what, what is it we heard that we've got nearly a million children school children in this country so when you look at it from that point of view the numbers are still very small now if it's your child who's been sent home for 10 days you're the one going to be screaming whether the numbers are high or not you're not going to be happy with the fact if you're a working parent you've got to organise childcare so we'll keep a close eye on that but that is the latest from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre showing over a doubling of outbreaks in schools uh, last week over the week before 1850 333103 let's take a break and let's get your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowdle 
This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And Peter Dowdell of theirishgardener.com joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're very welcome. Did you see the amazing garden at the Chelsea Flower Show at Billy Alexander and all of his ferns winning a gold medal at Chelsea, which is no easy achievement? It's not. No, it's uh, immense credit due to him. I have to... Um, I have to make my admissions and say Chelsea caught me on the hop this year in September, even though I knew it was coming up and I knew it was on. Uh, I haven't seen any coverage of it. I do, uh, first I heard was Billy winning a, a gold medal for his nursery exhibit in um, on the news last night. Yeah, so, yeah I, was <laughs> I, the same. I was the same, completely unaware that it was happening. Yeah, no, and I've been to Billy's garden down in Kerry, beautiful Kells Bay in Kerry. I've been down there several times, and Billy's a fern fanatic. And I, I, I don't think it's his first... I'm going to say I don't know if it's his first time winning gold in Chelsea. It is. Is he gold? It is. Is it? Yeah. Okay, because I know he's won medals in Chelsea before. Um, you see, the medals in Chelsea are different. It's not like uh, the Olympics where you get one gold, one silver, one bronze. Like, if you have to reach a certain standard, so it's judged on its merits. Uh, but to, to achieve gold medal standard in Chelsea, absolutely no, no easy feat and absolute congratulations to him. Is his gardens, the Kelly's Bay Gardens, are they open to the public? It's Kells Bay as opposed to Kelly's. Kells Bay, And really is in a beautiful part of Kerry. They are open to the public, yes. Yeah. And uh, he, he also... You know, he certainly used to uh, have a bit of a restaurant and B&B going down there as well. So if you wanted to take stunning. time out and, and just clear the head, Absolutely wow, stunning. beautiful place. OK, let's get straight into questions. Mary has been on. Uh, uh, question for Peter, please. I just bought a blue rhododendron and I want to plant it in the ground. What should I put in the soil? Because I want to keep the blue colour. Is there something about pieces of metal or is that just hearsay? Thanking you, says Mary. Well, no, it's not just hearsay, but what I would say to Mary is I wonder if she confused hydrangea with rhododendron. She may have, um, well, do you know what, whether or which, both the blue hydrangea and rhododendrons all want the same conditions, and that is an acid soil, okay? So where the pieces of metal comes from and the rusty iron and all that is, uh, that leaves off iron and it'll tend to um, acidify the soil. It'll tend to lower the pH of, of the soil. Aluminium sulfates is what we use to keep hydrangeas blue in a limey soil. So, yeah, the bits of metal aren't, aren't just hearsay. They do work. But there are other ways of doing it as well. Now, the, in the first instance, I would always say you, you, it's best to work with nature. So work with the soil you have. And if that is a limey soil, you, you resign yourself to the fact that you have pink hydrangeas and only grow blue ones in pots. But it's always worth giving it a go on saying that. Uh, and you'll even in a limey soil area, you'll have pockets of acid soils. So you might just get lucky. So or anyway, her, her soil might be acid in the first place. So the thing to do is when you're planting it, get yourself some what's called hydrangea colorant which is uh, aluminium sulfate, you put that in when planting and wash it on and, and key, if it is in limey soil, it's something you'll have to do every year, but that will maintain the blue colour. Margaret in Mill Street has a sunflower plant in a pot. It's starting to die away now. Will it come back next year or does she simply throw it away? Obviously her first time growing a sunflower. Okay, so no, it won't come back next year. There are perennial varieties of Helianthus is the, the actual botanical name for sunflowers, but the sunflowers that we all know and love as sunflowers are an annual species of it. Uh, but it's very easy, obviously, to collect the sunflower seeds from the flower and, and plant Growth them again next for next year. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, somebody else wants to know, could you ask Peter, do pansies come back every year? Pansies are an interesting one in that they're, they're kind of they do tend to come back year after year. We used to, when you go back in the day, they're, they're a type of viola. Um, 
and if you go back far enough, we had summer flowering pansies and winter flowering pansies. And now they're all what's called universal, right? Really, they're all universal, the bedding pansies, which means it's the same plant. It just depends on, as to when they've been uh, grown, as to whether they're going to be in flower for, for are ready for planting, if you like, in, in winter or summer. So long way to get to the answer is that I would treat them as an annual Though in our climate, which tends not to get too cold, they do tend to come back year after year, but they certainly do give up their best in the first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I've got some pansies in there, there with years. Just I've left them in an area. Absolutely. Yeah, others, yeah. and some, some other violas and like will come, many of the violas will be totally frost hardy and will come on year yeah. after year. Mary in Kinsale, uh, could you ask Peter, please? A lot of my tomatoes are splitting. I've fed them three times a week with tomato food. Uh, otherwise, they've all been good, but it's just they're starting to split. Why would that be happening? It could be erratic watering. It could be one of two things. Erratic watering is um, is most likely, and what that means is not that you didn't water or that you didn't feed, uh, but that the intervals in between the watering it dried out. So if you can imagine you, you drench it, let's say, on a Monday, uh, and then you don't water it again till Wednesday or Thursday, particularly if it's in a greenhouse or a tunnel, it'll, it will have dried out quite a bit. So when you water it, the fruit is growing and expanding, and then it's contracting during the period that it's dry, and that's what leads to the the the, the skin splitting. So more constant watering, kind of a sm- little and often is better. So um, more constant watering during the week will help. Okay, I'll I'll share now. I grew a tom- tomatoes just on one tomato plant for the first time ever this year. I grew them outside. Didn't really know what I was doing, so I was I was relying on you giving the advice every week. So I did fed it and watered them and all of that, and I got my tomatoes and I've put them into the bag so that they would redden up with the with the banana, banana. and they it's slowly but surely doing that. And you know something? When no, I listen, there's about ten, fifteen. They're almost like little cherry tomatoes. They are when I eat them, and I haven't shared them with anybody in the household. They're like an explosion of taste in my mouth. I have never tasted a tomato like those ones I've grown myself. Homegrown tomatoes. And I was just talking to a good friend of mine to give him a shout out there, Kevin Wilson. Kevin works in Carrick Science in Carrick Line in Cork, and he's grown tomatoes as well for the first time this year. And he's not a gardener, and hasn't been up to now, let's say. Uh, and he's been sharing photographs with me of their progress during the weeks. And he still hasn't eaten them. He's waiting oh. till the weekend. So I put the I put the fear of God in him now and told him keep an eye on the birds. So. Oh, they're, uh, they're just. I'm so going to do it again next year. It was fantastic. It, it really was great. Yeah. Okay, back to Maureen in Waterfall, uh, Peter. When do you stop feeding and spraying roses, camellias and rhododendrons? Okay, well, feeding really, I would slow down. We're 22nd of September now. I wouldn't really be feeding any plants now because we're coming into, whether we like it or not, in many ways it feels like we didn't get 2021 this year, but um, uh, we're slowing down and coming into the autumn and the winter of the year. So you don't really want to be promoting new growth on anything now uh, because that new growth will be kind of tender and, and more vulnerable to, to, to frost damage with the low temperatures, which will come soon, unfortunately. Um, so slow down on feeding everything now, really. Okay, Anne has emailed to say, query for Peter, please. I have some gooseberry bushes and there's moss currently growing on them. What could be the reason for this and how do I get rid of the moss from gooseberry bushes? Not a huge need to get rid of the moss. It could be moss or it could be lichen growing on the stems. And it's quite common and it's common with gooseberry bushes. It's common with any mature plant. Uh, as, as, as the plant gets older, moss will just colonise. Um, 
you know, it can stop a small bit of the gaseous exchange through the stomata of the bark, which would not, not mean to get too technical about it. So you can rub it off with your hand, but it, it's not a problem that I would be concerned about, and it's not something that you need to take drastic action on. If you think, kind of go with your gut, if you think there's too much on it, uh, certainly just rub it off with your hand. There's no chemical or no, no special tool needed here. Just, just rub it off with your hand. But equally, if you don't, it's certainly not the end of the world. A listener who planted some apple trees two years ago this November. I had two apples on one tree last year, none this year, and then two apples have grown on the other tree that didn't have any last year. Uh, it's, is that normal? It, you know what? It, it's only two years old and it, it's a question of embracing the, the buzzword of gardening on this one. It's patience, I'm afraid. Uh, I would think it probably is normal if the, if they've... If the if neither of them fruited, I'd be getting a bit concerned. But the fact that the other one, if you like, has fruited means that it's pollinated, it's pollinate, it being pollinated by its partner. So, and the fact that the first one fruited in year one, they both fruited. So I imagine they're both pollinating partners. And without going too far into it, Trish, what that means is apples need two different varieties. Some need three, but they need two different varieties to pollinate each other. Okay, uh, and. Uh, an apt partner is one that blooms at the same time of the year. Now, obviously, all apples bloom roughly at the same time of the year, but they need to bloom at exactly the same time of the year to pollinate each other. Um, so the fact that both have fruited, albeit in different years, means that they're compatible. So I would say just, just give it time patience. and they, they should, as they mature, yeah, they yeah, start uh, fruiting. Uh, patience. Hi, this is from Mary. Hi, Peter. I got a Phalaenopsis orchid a few weeks ago. It's in full bloom, but the top of it, with the, where the flower is, it's drooping. Uh, it's not dying, but it just seems very top he- heavy. It has a stake in it, but the stake isn't reaching the top of the flowers. I'm wondering, should I put a longer stake in? Would that help? But I'm afraid when tying it up, I might break the stem and obviously very much enjoying the orchid at the moment. Uh, Thanks for all your help every week. I water it about once a week. Is that okay as well, says Mary? It's watering once a week sounds about right. Yeah, you kind of. I'm always slow to give exact advice on watering indoor plants because you, you kind of water it. I, I don't mean to sound patronising it, but you you water when you need when it needs it. Um, with some orchids, that could be once a week. With more, it could be two or three times a week. So, but I'd say if it's if it's not drooping and it's not showing any signs of distress, you're you're doing fine. And in answer to the first part of the question, yeah, just put in literally put in a bigger stake. Just be kind of careful of the root system to tease it through the roots so that you're not damaging any with the bigger stake. Uh, and yeah, I can understand your trepidation with not wanting to break the flower stem, but there's no magic trick for it. Just, just be gentle and be careful, and they're tougher than you might think. Now, you don't need to tie it all the way up to the tip top. You just need to tie it one or two bits higher than what it is, if you know what I mean, to, to, to support it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah, to hold it up. Joe wants to know if applying ground limestone to a lawn is an effective way of reducing moss. If so, do you need to apply it every year? Yes, it will be an effective way of reducing moss. It certainly should be because um, moss doesn't like a, a alkaline pH. It's a pH higher than seven, so moss won't really work. Won't won't really colonise in that situation. Um, and depending on the pH of the soil that you're applying it to, you possibly will. I can't answer it for definite, but you possibly will need to apply it each year. Yes. Uh, someone got a present of an indoor lily plant. It stopped flowering. She doesn't know what to do with it now. Um, you see the word lily unfortunately particularly when it comes to indoors covers a multitude because you have plants like the peace lily which I have one sitting right next to me now which isn't actually a lily at all it's it's a, a spatty film but it's referred to as the peace lily and you have other plants referred to as different types of lily 
which aren't lilies, right? So I don't mean to get too confusing here, but if it's an actual lily, which is a lilium, so it's like the, the same kind of lily that you'd get in your bunch of flowers, well, then you treat it much the same as you would a daffodil tree, so it's a bulb. So you let the flower die, you let the foliage die off and go brown, and let all that goodness go back into the bulb because that's going to produce the stem and the, the, the flower for next year. So let it die back naturally, and then when it's all gone brown, uh, cut it off to ground level. You might want to move somewhere less obvious because when it was in flower, obviously you might have had it in the, the centre of the room or whatever. As it's dying back, you might want to, if you have a glass house or a tunnel, that'll be fine. Or even just an, an, on top of a bookshelf, which is where a lot of my house plants end up as they're, they're dying back. Uh, but somewhere less obvious, let it die back. When the stems are gone brown, uh, you don't need to be watering it at all, really, during that period, a small bit maybe. Uh, I cut the stems back when they're brown and that'll start producing growth again next year. Okay, all right, just watch the clock. We've got to go. That's I've got to leave it. Listen, thank you for that, Peter. Have a good week. And you, and we'll talk next week, Chris. Right, chat again next uh, Tuesday. That's uh, Peter Dowdle at theirishgardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. And I'm back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.